0: Welcome back. It's the now news panel on AMI. I'm Dave Brown. Alongside Juita Gupta and Michelle McQuig, we've got one more topic to discuss. Let's talk about affordability and financial stress. You never hear about those stories in the media. There have been quite a few stories that fit into this topic that broke over the week. Let's start with inflation or I suppose you could actually call it deflation. Stats Canada released August's inflation numbers month over month. Prices went down by 0.6%. However, year over year, prices are still up significantly at 7%. Desjardins Senior Director of Canadian Economics, Randall Bartlett, says there are some positive indicators. You know, when you look, when you unpack it, whether it's, you know, month over month, seasonally adjusted, not seasonally adjusted, year over year growth, we are seeing broad, a broad-based deceleration in inflation. And, um, you know, that, that's uh, certainly, you know, as positive a development as I think you can, uh, can have on the inflation front. On the federal level, the federal government's rolled out more of its affordability plan. The legislation tabled would double the GST credit for six months, provide a one-time housing support payment for low-income renters, and create the Canada Dental Benefit for children under 12 who do not have access to dental insurance. Associate Minister of Finance Randy Boissonneau says these measures are aimed at the most vulnerable Canadians.
1: The three measures in the bills we introduced today represent new money for them this year at the right time. This is what an economy that works for all Canadians looks like. This is the targeted support Canadians have been asking for. We listened and we made sure it happened.
0: Oh, I have more for you, by the way, because Stats Canada also released some census data related to housing. Homeownership rates fell between 2011 and 2021 from 69%, nice, to 66.5%. There was one more thread to this data that I want to share just because I'm, int- I'm intentionally trying to confuse you. Eric Olson, an assistant director at Stats Canada's Centre for Income and Socioeconomic economic Wellbeing, says despite ownership rates decreasing, affordability actually improved in the last five years.
2: And thus, when household incomes grow faster than shelter costs, as they did up to the 2021 census, this creates conditions for improved housing affordability. So the rate of unaffordable housing, or the proportion of households that spent more than 30% of their income on shelter costs, fell from 24.1% in 2016
0: to 20.9% in 2021. And finally, a new study has found the financial well-being of working Canadians has declined in the past year. John Kennedy takes a closer look at those findings.
2: The study, which combines the National Payroll Institute's annual survey with analysis by the Financial Wellness Lab of Canada, found the number of people living paycheck to paycheck increased by 26% in 2022 compared to last year. The analysis included a look at the financial clusters Canadians could fall into, comfortable coping or stressed, and showed the gap has widened between those coping and stressed. While those with lower household incomes were likely to be stressed, 41% in the stressed category reported an annual household income in excess of $100,000. John Kennedy, The Canadian
0: Press, Toronto. Okay, so is your head spinning enough yet? I just threw a ton of numbers at you to digest there. We've only got about four minutes and 30 seconds on the clock here to have this conversation. So I want to boil this down to the crux of one singular question. Michelle, how hard is it to start telling stories in the media about the economy right now? (laughs)
1: I think you just put on a nice little clinic on how on the on how complex it is, and you did it well. So there's the clinic on that front too. But it it is very complicated to do this because, frankly, business and economic stories intersect with so many other aspects of society. I think a lot of people come into journalism even with a with a preconceived notion that business is its own self-contained department and its own its own thing and. You're, you're a business writer, not an other kind of news writer. And, and increasingly, I think that notion is being challenged. The very fact that we have a reporter embedded in our parliamentary bureau with a very strong business background, I think tells you pretty much all you need to know about some of that. Um, it, it is complex and it is important because numbers, more than any other piece of information that we process as journalists, require context. And that's where I think it's really important to Be able to provide that on a number of fronts, and not sometimes take it out of the business context and apply it elsewhere. You know, apply it to. Uh, more social questions. How is it affecting marginalized groups? Just to name a very, very few, but there's so many ways to do this, and it's important to have those skills.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, the complexity to me lays in the fact that we can offer up a lot of macroeconomic broad-based data, but some of the micro data says people are really suffering and having a tough time. And then you get some of that stats can data, which is almost pushing back the other way. So, Juita, I'm going to frame the same question to you. Is it getting really complex to talk about the economy in a meaningful way?
2: Yeah, Dave, we live in complex times, as was pointed out in a previous segment. So yes, it is now more than ever challenging to tell economic stories. But I will contend that it has always been challenging because there is very little economic literacy. And I will go so far as to say there's very little economic literacy amongst journalists in general. Maybe you've got a few specialists uh, in journalism who have a background in economics or business, and maybe they have a better grasp of it. But for a lot of us, like when I do chase producing, I'm basically giving myself a crash course on economic terms when I'm writing or producing a story. And then it it, it puts up all these interesting questions about the kinds of guests we bring on. Typically, with an economic story, I'll go to an economist who then predictably speaks economies. And that isn't really something that resonates (laughs) with audiences. (laughs) And that doesn't really resonate with audiences because the one way to kill a radio story, I had a senior producer tell me once, is to like cram it full of numbers. So, But then how do you not tell the story through the numbers? Is it sufficient to tell a story that just talks about people's lived experiences and their impacts without bringing in the numbers? What does responsible journalism look like Mm. in that situation? And the other part about economics is If something is good for one set of people, it's probably bad for another set of people. And bringing (laughs) in that level of complexity uh, can be very daunting in an article with a word limit or in a radio segment that runs five to six minutes. Yeah,
0: welcome welcome to capitalism, where there are winners (laughs) and losers on either side of it. Juweta, you mentioned economic literacy. I do want to make mention that the mighty AMI Audio Podcast Network does have a new podcast launching today called Eyes on Your Money, which is all about offering a lot of that economic, uh, economic knowledge from a real baseline point of view for the first 10 episodes and they're going to try to build from there so it's something that we're actually trying to do inside the ami family right now is build some of that economic and financial literacy right from the ground up in a super accessible way so really cool really cool idea that that's going to be launching today you can find that on your favorite podcasting platform michelle i'm going to say goodbye to you we'll talk to you on monday morning as part of the weekend news recap so all the best to you
1: Thank you. Have a great weekend.
0: Joita, just before I fully say goodbye to you... Tell me, we previewed it yesterday on the show, but give me a little bit of insight on the Pulse episode that dropped yesterday.
2: Oh, the one that dropped yesterday with Andrea Kalanen. Oh, she is a genius. Um, her, her, her her journal article in the Canadian uh, Journal of Disability Studies basically says, think about the disability memoir as an accessibility device or an assistive device that people with disabilities provide to able-bodied people. Oh, That's so her interesting. thesis. It's so I interesting. Bl- I was blown away by it, Dave. I mean, I I asked her during the interview, I said, how do you come up with these things? And one of the things that she said that really resonated with me, she said, it's because of my disability. It's because, you know, my brain is wired differently from the norm. So I see patterns where other people might miss them. And so it just goes to show you that, you know, we've talked about things like blindness gain on the pulse before, but there are gains and uh, really powerful insights that come from your embodied experience of living with a disability.
0: Joita, that episode made its debut yesterday at it one thirty p.m. Eastern Time, but folks can find it on demand on their favorite podcasting platform. And of course, they can also check out the pulse on our YouTube page as well, which is super, super neat. Joita, best of luck filming your next episode today. We'll talk to you next week.
2: Thanks very much.
0: That's Joita Gupta, host of The Pulse on AMI-audio. Michelle McQuig is the weekend news editor at the Canadian Press. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. The
1: Walrus is Canada's conversation, and you're invited to take part.